Hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Industry Spotlight. We hope that you enjoyed the last two episodes and today we're going to be discussing some new topics including the government's glitchy childcare website, um, Instagram's new API and Snapchat's in-app shopping section along with the Northern Digital Skills Gap. Yeah, so first thing is the uh, this glitchy childcare website that the government's um, been made, you know it's been in the press recently on the BBC website. Uh, it's to do with people trying to claim childcare benefits back from the uh, government-made website. Now uh, the government have a lot of problems with these websites. I don't know who keeps uh, putting these projects out, but no. they have a lot of trouble. I mean, historically, any website with tax relief or claiming benefits, you know, has had a lot of problems. They recently revamped a lot of it, um, and it's come a long way. But you still got struggles with people putting in all these IDs that they've got to remember and passwords and um, just seems to be never ending and these, these projects just seem destined to fail from, from day one really which is a shame but I don't, don't really know what's going wrong I mean the, 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 the article I've been reading is, it doesn't really shed much uh, light on the exact problem and the, the exact um, website even um, but it just seems like whenever a government tries to launch a, a web based initiative it just seems to have, have problems well, doesn't it? It has issues from the start as well but this, this article highlighted it in the BBC says that it's been live for eight months and it's still not working, mm. which ain't good enough really um, for such an important thing. A lot of complaints being yeah. put in. Um, I think it just highlights the importance of getting it right from the off, uh, setting it up on staging, testing everything yeah. as much as possible before it even goes live to mitigate any issues. Um, commercial yeah. pressure, obviously, from the government's perspective, but yeah. Yeah, and the, the government seems to be one of those. Uh, Establishments people love to hate when it comes to tech. You now they've had a couple of uh, bashings with NHS digital projects over years and stuff. It seems like they need to be going that extra mile, like focus groups and research, you know, all that kind of stuff in terms of getting it right before it goes out because it's just reputation just takes a beating every time, it seems. It's a bit of an easy target for people. Trouble is, it's quite a touchy subject and people trying to get the, the benefits for this kind of thing they'll be. Obviously, families that are desperately needing to get hold of this childcare, and mm. you know, if it's taking eight months to get it to work, there's going to be quite a lot of frustrated families out there, I imagine. Yep. I guess there's another another facet to this in that making sure your off- offline support is good enough. Because I know they've said uh, people have rang up a hundred times to get it sorted. Um, it shouldn't take a hundred times, should it? It should take one. Yeah. So if your website is going to fail. Customer support needs to be on point. Yeah, definitely. I think every government service, they're, they're always slow to the react, aren't they? They seem so just disjointed too. It just seems like whenever there's one of these projects up for grabs, they just give it to, it's like they just pick someone out of the hat and give it to them. There's no like, official partner. It sounds like they've got an in-house team uh, or even a, you know, like I said, an official partner that can distribute those projects to and someone's like, the same people are accountable, you know, learn from your mistakes, that type of thing. Seems like they give it to a new company each time, tr- try the look and same mistakes get repeated. So, so um, might be a lesson learned there in sort of picking a dev partner or a website partner or an IT partner and just sort of using them over and over again and getting a relationship and a bit of trust there. And yeah. They might be able to unify these, you know, going back to what I said a minute ago about IDs, and they might have IDs that you have for government websites or it's paying your tax or whatever. Just massive strings of numbers. Yeah. It's like, what, what are these things? Can I just have one that works everywhere? Maybe it's intentional. intentional. Maybe they don't, don't want to fork out. It'd be good to uh, just have one. Like a, I think they, they have tried to do a gov.uk like login portal, try and do a single sign-on thing for all these services, but I'm not sure whether this uses it. It sounds like if it, if it does, then they're having trouble with that itself. But um, yeah, they don't even tell you exactly which websites are having the problems, probably trying to... Uh, Keep it out of the 
public eye a little bit and stop everyone else is jumping on it. Yeah, everybody brings it out though, don't they? Have they got any, have they released a statement or anything saying what they're going to do to deal with the issue or? Don't look like it. No. Yeah. They've done a lot though, haven't they? The government keeps it, sort of redoing these projects. I mean, there's a lot done with the uh, taxing your car and stuff, vehicle tax, and they've redone all that. That seems to have gone quite smoothly. Yeah, that's pretty good actually, the mm. experience. Well, you don't do it anymore, do you? Well, yeah, you do it online, that's what I mean. Yeah. So you, uh, it just happens at direct debit, doesn't it? Yeah. It seems to have gone all right. But you can see with the design UI, it's almost like Google rolling out the material design stuff. You can see on the new government web projects, they all look the same, they're all really flat, aren't they? Same font and stuff. Similar to what they did over in America a few years ago when healthcare.gov was it that they redid. There's a massive hoo-ha about that. They didn't build it and strip it back down and start again. Got loads of really um, well-accredited uh, devs on it, didn't they get some Google guys and stuff and Probably. sorted it out yeah. in the end. Um, yeah. yeah, seems like that kind of thing happens in governments when they distribute these projects out. Yeah. Good stuff. So um, it's been in every publication going about Instagram updating their um, API and moving to the Instagram Graph API, which is the same as the Facebook Graph API. Uh, primarily what it means is marketers, companies, anyone that uses Instagram basically will now be able to schedule posts, um, a feature that marketers certainly have been banging on about for a long, long time. Um, I think it now opens the floodgates for Instagram to be ruined in the same way as Facebook. Um, just a, an absolute barrage of marketing-based content. Um, I don't know. I think it's probably a bad thing for the platform, but it were always going to happen. Um, in terms of dev, it's good because you're unifying the API now, hopefully unifying the documentation too. So if you've written some automated Facebook posting algorithm, software, whatever, you should be able to move that across Instagram pretty, pretty swiftly or, or bring it in. And you should be able to you know, roll out across the platform pretty simple. Um, so that's good for devs. Bad, bad for devs though because they're getting rid of the old API. So they're deprecating that. I don't know how many years they've put on it until end of life, but... Any apps you've got running on the old Instagram API, or the current Instagram API as it is, then uh, you need to get them off next pretty, pretty soon. <laughs> so yeah, they give you like end of life, don't they? It's usually like a couple of years. But yeah, um, I think it's like twenty. Is it twenty twenty? Is it twenty twenty? Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> soon creeps. Soon soon comes around when you've got your production website using it. Yeah, it's not a long time, is it? Really, in the grand scheme no. of things. That's what has to happen though. With APIs, if you don't get rid of them, then they live on forever, and it's just it become, yeah. So you've got, you got to cut your loss at some point and uh, it is a problem though with uh, APIs versioning them. It's a big, big dev topic. I think it's made a lot of marketing managers' lives easy though, hasn't it? If you, if no, you think now, it's stuff, yeah. been, they've been waiting around for it so long. I know they're, they're putting a hell of a lot of requests to get this, this over the line, but to be able to schedule a post now is just going to make everybody's life easier. And obviously there's not going to be any individual login. So, you know, if you've got a... Um, a marketing team that all use it to schedule posts and things like that. You can all work for, from one hub now yep. um, to distribute your content, which is going to save a lot of time as well. Seems so like I can got... see why it's been it's been pushed as heavily as it as it has been for so long. They've got straight in with these third party platforms as well. And I was looking at now at Hootsuite. There's a quote there from the CEO. Um, I'm pretty sure all the other automation, social automation platforms will be in on this pretty sharpish. 
Yeah, yeah. Hootsuite were an official partner with Instagram, which is why their first uh, buffer working on it. I think HubSpot are working on it. Um, so everybody's sort of doing it. It's just these guys had sort of first foot in door. Yeah. So like I said, in terms of dev too, if these platforms have already got Facebook integrated, which I know they have, then should be pretty straightforward to just piggyback Instagram on that. Should be the same type of uh, flow in terms of and uh, authentication protocol and stuff. Yeah, agreed. So the, uh, the third topic we're going to talk about is the, uh, the Snapchat in-app shopping section. So um, they've not done a massive amount to monetize Snapchat so far other than the standard um, stories, ads and things like that. But now they've opened their own in-app store, which I think generally just focuses on their own merchandise from what I've read. Yep, physical products like hot dogs and things like that. I think there's a lot of uh, reading between the lines here because, I mean, if you look at it, like, like this, this article I went on marketing land then uh, just want to flog their own stuff in the app but there's more to it than that I think they might be sort of testing the payment gateways testing the payment flow and sooner or later you'll be able to buy other people's stuff through this so I don't think it's they're just going to be selling their own stuff forever it's not want to buy long term commercial model is it they're testing no. something to find out whether I think people are in the right mindset on Snapchat to be able to shop in and then they'll be working with bigger partnerships I think further down the line to figure out how they can monetize it a little bit more but that I imagine the I don't think they'll do much in terms of sales if I'm being completely honest no. I think it's uh, we'll look at the spectacles the battle <laughs> I suspect that every brand that's viable that use discover or that tested discover will have a store at some point and there's the, the Twitter ads you can buy products directly through the Twitter ads can't you and then they partner with Stripe or someone or another similar payment provider yeah, so it could be cutting up like that couldn't it yeah once, you, once they've got everyone's card details and they've tested the payment flows out and stuff and sold the small volume of their own gear, then uh, a bit more confidence going to market or something like that. Yeah, well, Facebook do it as well for like events and stuff like that, don't they? In our yep. purchases. So I think it's just their, their response to all that in a way. It's a bit of an unusual way to go about it, if I'm being honest, but yeah. selling your own merchandise. But um, I think that's a, a thin front, though. Yep, definitely. I think they're, they're testing it, they're going to get everything in play, and then any brand with a demographic of 14 to 25 they'll just hammer them and sell them a store it's going to be a lot of young products in it (laughs) i thought the location um point that marketing land raised were really interesting too so they're saying that basically they can get the credit card details and the addresses of people and they can do location-based ads off back of that so if if you're not giving away gps details or whatever if they've got your address from you submit a payment they can use that so that marketers use to target people it's not exactly new uh, you know, on the frontier of the technology, Facebook's been uh-huh. doing that for quite a, a long time, really. But yeah, they're quite a bit behind in that yeah, sort exactly. of targeting, aren't they? So yeah, Snapchat don't really ask you for much stuff when you sign up. Really, you know, you got your email address and your phone number, and there's not a lot else really. Yeah, other than a hundred million photos of yourself. But yeah, well, if you consider you can pretty much go down to street level on Facebook targeting. So yeah, yeah. But does that rely on your GPS, or is that from your? It's from your physical ingest, um, details. Yeah, I wonder if, if you if you, you know, sort of block like remarket and stuff like that. So if you've got if you've got a, a list of your details, like your shipping details and all yeah, that yeah. kind of thing, you can plug that in to Facebook. Yeah, I wonder if that relies on the user's GPS on the phone being enabled and reporting back to Facebook exactly where you oh, are. Right. Yeah. So that's possibly. what I mean. So Snapchat. So say you've got that disabled. Snapchat are going to obviously glean some actual addresses out of people regardless of your GPS data. Yeah. So if I were Snapchat, I'd be going to DJ Khaled and saying, right, we're going to partner you with K-Swiss, we're going to create a pop-up store in New York, you're going to do a filter that's New York-based saying, I'm in Central Park, come and get 500 pairs of K-Swiss, buy them through Snapchat there and then. Yeah. That, that, that's pretty much how, how I see it 
popping off. I don't think they're going to be able to really leverage it much more than that. Mm. Yep. And if they want to sell their own spectacles again, I mean, did you see how they tried to sell them last time? They just put their like, vending machines up in random places. I saw one at uh, British Summertime Festival in London. Yeah, it's just a yellow box. Like, I didn't even have to say Snapchat on it. And then there's just a card machine on it. And uh, you got a queue up to get them, but no one knew what it was. It was just a yellow box, like an inconspicuous <laughs> box. And you put, put your card in, you pay like 100 and something quid, and then a pair of glasses just fall out at the bottom. I reckon it's like, it's anybody, all cryptic. They didn't anybody above the age of like 30 wouldn't have even made that association, would they? There was literally <laughs> me and all thing that knew what this vending machine was. And I went up to like, I've never seen one. Did it have a ghost on it? I think it had a ghost. I think it was basically just yellow and white. Uh, I don't know if it had a ghost on it. It probably did. That's a bit of But it didn't have anything there, more it? on it other than a card slot and a, and a price label. I think that was pretty much it. Yeah, I think they're the thinking they've got the brand equity and recognition of Nike there. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. a bit balls in that, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah uh, like, like I say, it's only going to appeal to a certain demographic there, isn't it, really? Yeah, they, they don't mind doing the weird marketing tactics, though, do they, obviously? Um, I guess with tech like that, might have been better off partnering with Apple stores or something, physical stores, should have shut them in there. Should have just sold it to Facebook. Chaps. Yeah, sold the whole company <laughs> to Facebook. Yeah. How much are they worth now? Well, I don't, I don't know, it's a bit rocky, isn't it? I mean, Facebook offered them five billion when it were first conceived. Yeah. It's a lot of money. And they turned it down. Maybe that is reflected in this giant yellow box that they've got. <laughs> yeah, well, Facebook haven't had to go um, sort of brick and mortar or anything, have they, I suppose? Well, Facebook have got Marketplace, haven't they? That's their sort of foray into e com. But they've never have they sold their own gadgets yet? I don't think they have. It's a public. Mm, I don't, I don't think remember any record of it now. Mm. Not really. Don't like Marketplace, though. It looks, it cheapens it, it makes it feel really sort of boot sailor. I know like that's Craigslist. what it is and that's the intention of it. It's, but it's, yeah, it's Craigslist in, in, in Facebook. I don't think Snapchat will turn into that. It's too, that'd be too weird. The Snapchat's not a star thing. Because that's what Mark Inland says and it says it might, might be more of a Facebook marketplace compare, but yeah, it seems a bit weird that to me. We shall see. Yep. Interesting. Okay, so the final piece, we're going to talk about the Northern Digital Skills Gap um, and the shortage of talent f versus the amount of tech jobs that are available. Um, big players such as Sky seem to be able to just pay as much as they want for talent, making it really difficult for um, other companies that have got that requirement to get the talent to then grow. So there's um, initiatives that have been put in place to try and solve that. Um, well, Sky themselves have got an initiative, haven't they? As such, they keep sort of plugging this idea that they've got a sort of a digital campus, or whatever they're calling it. Yeah. And I think you get this a lot of big players now. Even no matter how much money they've got, it still seems a shot of shot of talent, as they like to put it all the time. Yeah. Um, I think they're so, under pressure out there from like government bodies as well to start being more, pro more proactive in those kind of areas. Yeah. Stuff like that. I think they're trying to make it uh, a core sort of learning and course within school as well. Mm. now to make sure that people are aware of the digital ecosystem because they only get still get taught the, the stuff that we probably got taught in school don't, don't know they doing, to, do programming now like a 12 year old don't they in some schools that's yeah. that's yeah. new though yeah it's i think cool. the the speed in which technology has moved along has just left the education system completely behind they can't put a, a curriculum together on something that they probably don't understand yeah yeah it's, it's impossible to teach really and there's not even enough expertise out there to go in and teach that to all the schools around the UK, I guess. Apprenticeships. Yeah, that's what should happen. 
That's another problem yeah, that's with this, this talent word. People are expecting really well qualified people to be able to walk into these jobs. Um, seems like people like Sky are a bit shy of employing uh, sort of lesser sort of experienced yeah. people into the roles. They just want to get the mega experienced people, obviously, of, of which there are a few. Yeah. Um, so, the, and so then the flip side said, it's like, right, well, let's just employ people with no experience, then we'll just train them in these campus things. Which that's is obviously, that's a government backed initiative that a lot of these companies are doing, isn't it? That creates an issue in itself, though, because that just overprices everybody. You get someone then that will go to Sky for two years that will then come for a job at Flaunt Digital wanting 15 grand more than they're worth based on their experience. Mm. It's a vicious circle. Yeah. Yeah. I think apprenticeships is a really good route for this, though. I think not enough digital, like digital-based businesses take advantage of it because there's, it's something that kids are going to be interested in young people are going to be interested in why not get them in and train them up and get them into it straight away yep I'm sure it'll sort itself out once the economy comes around in however many years like say for teaching 12 year olds at a programme now when you know in 12 years time or whatever when the career's picked up a bit and surely will be loads of tech people knocking about won't they such a though like you say it, it moves at such a speed that how, how do you keep up with it how do you for example teach somebody you know the basics of SEO or PPC and you know like we were saying on uh, last week's episode about um, voice search and things like that, it's going to be a completely different ball game by the time they're potentially Obviously ready to learning. enter. Yeah, <laughs> it's just going to be wrong. redundant, isn't it? Yeah. And then in 12 years time when everyone's a programmer, well, they won't have any sparkies. Or, or, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then we'll have, to, then we'll have a yeah, shortage. Yeah. Shortage of that. It's, a, it's a fine line. It's tough. I mean, we're not in the... Uh, game, education game, I guess it's a pretty fine line when you're changing curriculums to try and not screw the economy. Yeah. But yeah. Ending so. on a positive note though, it's nice to see that there's a massive amount of tech jobs up north as opposed to down south. Yep. Just shows Leeds, I think Leeds, Manchester, all becoming digital hubs, all bringing talent from down south now, so good for the good for the region and um, yeah big players know they can pay short salaries as well which is one of the reasons why Sky are up here now yeah, yeah. move the London stuff to Leeds and yeah. yeah god knows how much money they saved on wages it's a good incentive for people to get into it though because doesn't it pay digital jobs pay something like 42% more than the average uh, salary or in Probably the UK so, yeah. so it's it's a massive incentive for people to get into it I think that statistic only really applies for the north but Still an encouraging uh, route if you're considering it. Yep. yep. Thanks for watching this week's episode of Industry Spotlight. Join us next week for episode four. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>